Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you, those uh, that are in the building and those online. Hi, thumbs up, heart, like, all that. What a crazy world we live in. Hey, guys, did you know there was this thing called an election coming up? Yeah, maybe uh, maybe you've heard about it, uh, maybe not, but um, there's this uh, chance that we have to influence our nation and uh, indirectly the world, uh, and so it's very, very important that we um, take this seriously, and so we've taken the, this past whole month to discuss principles <clears throat> from God's Word that we hope will help you in making the decision of who you vote for and really undergirding your convictions with some biblical truths. Um, They are intentionally broad. Uh, This uh, is actually from the National Association of Evangelicals, which is a a group of, actually it represents over 40,000 churches, no, 45,000 churches and 40 different denominations. Um, They have been working since the 40s to establish um, basically a framework as well as an organization to encourage biblical Christian ethics in the political world. And so they exist to inform Christians on the uh, principles. They have lots and lots of different resources. Uh, What I'm taking this from is uh, a website of theirs called For the Health. It was developed almost 20 years ago. So obviously, 20 years ago, the issues were similar, but not the same. Certainly the candidates were all different. But, you know, the issues really don't change well, throughout the years. It's just how we see them. And so uh, that's the source. And if you go to that website, they have just pages of information on each one of these points. And they've uh, identified eight uh, uh, principles of Christian political engagement, and I'm calling them the rules of engagement. Rules of engagement is actually from the military and police uh, world. Uh, the rules of engagement would uh, define when you're entering a conflict to the degree of force that you're allowed to use. And so rules of engagement, if you watch uh, army movies and stuff like that, you may be familiar with that, whether you just stand and observe or whether you uh, interact or whether you use deadly force. And in a similar way, the Bible provides rules of engagement that help us know, well, how do we interact? And uh, more specifically, we're talking about principles of engagement, uh, of uh, how we respond and how we vote and what should be influencing us. Okay, evangelical, unfortunately, that word has been hijacked by individuals and made into a political Framework. Evangelical is not about um, uh, a political distinction, it's a theological distinction. And so the term is very specific and it it defines a core belief. So I'm not going to get into the core beliefs, but the evangelical um, uh, theology is is who we are. It's it's basically that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the Bible is the only source of uh, inspired revelation, that Jesus is the only way of salvation and all that. And then uh, uh, using Scripture, they've formulated these eight principles. 
They, the organization itself actually in their statement say that they resist being co-opted by political candidates or agendas and instead pursue the breadth of uh, commitments that Jesus displays in Scripture and uh, that Jesus displayed in his life and as the Scriptures teach. And so it's, it's what we're doing here and what the National Association of Evangelicals is about is defining responses to the candidates and to the issues of the election based on biblical uh, principles and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, no candidate or party is going to perfectly encapsulate the principles. You realize that? Okay. In fact, they don't even come close. And so that makes it our responsibility to take these principles and to look at the uh, positions of the parties and the platforms and the, and the uh, candidates and then choose as best we can. Last week we covered the first four. I'm going to jump right into the, the, the last four. And number five is preserving human rights. Uh, right from the beginning of the Bible, uh, the uh, creation account, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry around the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And because we were created in God's image, you know, we've heard this so many times as Christians. We've read this in the Bible, and sometimes... Uh, these big ideas, when they're repeated so often, we forget the significance of it. But listen, it's, this is amazing that you and I and mankind were created to reflect the very image of God. All right? Uh, the form of God, the nature of God. We are, we are image bearers of uh, the eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God. And that's, that means that we have rights and responsibilities, okay? Incredible rights and responsibilities as, as God's representation in and on the earth. And our nation was actually founded on this principle. And uh, for over uh, the 200, you know, 244 years since 1776, our nation has significantly progressed. And if you look through the history of our, 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 our country, you know, there were many, many hurdles uh, that, that we had to overcome. And we are still uh, struggling to overcome some of those hurdles. But we stand for human rights. And the nation was established on human rights. From the Declaration of Independence, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. So this is a very initial statement and uh, uh, form, form, forming document of our nation that when we declared independence from, from uh, the King of England, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's an incredible statement in, in the belief of human rights. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. In other words, rights that cannot be taken away. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So the acknowledgement of the rights that, I, that come from the creator and the responsibility of governments to make sure that those rights are preserved. All right? right from our Constitution, but that's based on, on principles that are taught in Scripture. And then we have the Bill of Rights that uh, comprise the first 10 amendments to the Constitution are all about rights of individuals, protecting them from, from various things and ensuring human rights. Uh, now listen, people retain their God-given rights and God-given dignity even when they choose paths that are contrary to the Bible. Do you realize that? It's a big idea here. Even though people make choices uh, to do a life in a way that is contrary to God's will, contrary to God's commandment, they still have, they still are image bearers. They still need to be respected and they still have the God-given dignity. <clears throat> and legal rights often entail freedom to choose wrong, to choose things that the Bible calls sin. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral. Do you know that? All right? Never define your morality by what happens to be legal. There's a, ma a massive difference. You can get away with a lot of immoral stuff and not break laws. And there are, and there are certain laws that are just, just contrary to God's will. So when people make those choices, we as Christ followers must still recognize the dignity and treat each individual and each people group with respect. <clears throat> so the idea of human rights is that people need basic things. They need food, they need shelter, uh, they need nurture, they need care. And while it's not the primary role of government to provide these things, obviously we know that, it is <clears throat> important that governments provide uh, uh, for basic needs uh, uh, and a general, for the general well-being and the promotion of the common good of the whole of their society. That's why government exists, uh, to protect the human rights of, of the individuals living in that government. And a government becomes evil or wicked or tyranny when they begin to abuse human rights. So governments uh, are intended, both in our Constitution and the principles of Scripture, to provide a place where people can uh, have the opportunity to meet their needs. And they're also to ensure that people are not unjustly deprived of their rights uh, and opportunities to meet their needs. And governments can play a significant role, I, I really... Um, most people don't understand how massively significant government shapes our lives. And one of the best things that has happened to me over the years is traveling to other nations and spending time and really getting to know people that live in other nations. And, you know, when I was growing up, the Soviet Union was the evil empire. In fact, I think that was actually called the evil empire, wasn't it, by a former president. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, and then having the, the opportunity to go to the Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union, 
and get to know some of the guys that were my age who grew up on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And what was it like? I got to talk to them. And, and you know, it wasn't, it, there were some, some things that were better than, than, than it was in, after the fall of the Soviet Union. And I was shocked to hear that. And, uh, and then um, I've mentioned this before, uh, Pastor Mitko that comes here regularly, he is from Bulgaria, and he was part of the Soviet Union, the, the enemy. And now we're friends, and it's, it's so uh, amazing how much we're, we're shaped by the uh, uh, influence of government on things that we don't even think about. <clears throat> and so it's important to understand that this is a right and proper thing, and we need to help uh, um, um, as best we can influence our government to stand to the biblical standards that God set up. So I'm going to read a few scriptures, Deuteronomy 1, 16, um, uh, God's law concerning how to govern people. It says, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly. In other words, treat people fairly, defend their human rights. Whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner who is residing among you. So God's law, he was saying, in, in the nation of Israel, which was created as a template to, to help us see how God's um, principles and characters can be implemented in a governmental, in a nation, in a society. It's that you treat people, whether they're uh, a part of your country or whether they're part of another country that happens to be living amongst you fairly. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. So whether they're rich or poor, influential or not, strong or weak, don't show partiality. Do not be afraid of any, anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Judgment belongs to God. And that's the idea, that when we act as judge, when we set up systems of um, judicial <clears throat> systems to um, uh, uh, govern our country, we have to understand that we will be answerable to God because he's the one who defends the defenseless. Also, another verse, there's so hundreds of verses in the, in the Bible that talk about this. I just picked a few to highlight. Uh, Psalm 82, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. These are biblical principles that should inform us and help shape our laws and also the way we behave. So they apply personally as individuals, but we are also to seek to see that our government and the policies of our nation and our state and our local communities follow this, that, there's a, that we're advocates for justice. Another verse in Leviticus, when foreigners reside among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so many people misunderstand at the times when the Israelites were at war with invading nations. And, um, you know, there's many stories of, of pretty drastic warfare. And we, we see that and we go, oh my goodness, God, it must be just a mean, angry guy. But actually, in the day-to-day -day course and, and not in times of war, God was a defender of human rights. And he was defending this principle 
a nation that respected the human rights of all people, whether they're citizens or non-citizens. Um, and so the Bible is a strong advocate for the uh, or, uh, protection of human rights. And it, uh, uh, it is a theme throughout all of Scripture. Jesus taught that when we interact and how we treat a stranger is how we're treating him. Remember that in Matthew 25? He said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. And so both as individuals and as nations, we need to understand that how we treat the, uh, those who are uh, oppressed, those who are less fortunate, is actually how we are treating Jesus. All right, so as we pray for, engage, vote, um, and engage in our community, we must pursue the preservation of basic human rights for all people, especially those oppressed and disadvantaged. And again, parties differ, politicians differ as to what the best way to do this is. Uh, and you need to decide based on their positions which way you believe would be the best way and who you're going to support. But the principle of defending the rights of, uh, of humans, um, whether they're uh, whatever uh, citizenship they may be or whatever state uh, they may be, uh, is non-negotiable. All right, It's a basic biblical truth. All right, let's move on. Number six. Pursuing racial justice and reconciliation. Uh, the Bible throughout Scripture <clears throat> uniformly teaches the essential dignity of all humans. Yet the devastating reality of sin results in the denigration and alienation between races. All right, have you noticed? <laughs> um, and it's not just a, a problem in our country, it's a problem throughout the whole world. Christians affirm that the gospel brings reconciliation, not only between God and humanity, but also between uh, any estranged group of people, okay? people that are separated, division, strife. Uh, God will ultimately form a new humanity at Christ's return in which every nation, tribe, people, and, and language are unified in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a peek of that in the book of Revelation when John sees the, the masses worshiping in every language from every tribe. And so the Bible's vision for humanity is not to remove the ethnic distinctions, but uh, celebrate them and, and create a, a new people group, a new human race that's united in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see this in passages and teaching in the New Testament. In Galatians, it says, uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. So racial divisions uh, are removed. There is neither slave nor free. So economic divisions are removed in the kingdom. And there's neither male nor female. So gender uh, 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 division is removed in the kingdom. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't remove the, the fact that one, a person may be Jewish or a person may be Greek or a person may be you know, Italian. It doesn't uh, take away their uh, ethnic uh, uniqueness. It celebrates that, but it calls us to a unity uh, despite the differences. Another powerful verse is in Colossians. It says, put on your new nature. So this is a new nature that we get when, we're, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, and this is the result of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit working sanctification. 
says, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So hearkening back to that creation account when we were made in the image of God. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or, uh, you know, Italian or uh, uh, Hispanic or Asian. All of those ethnic divisions, you know, that, that's not what matters. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. So religious traditions, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. And so this is sharing, talking about the ideal of Christian community. This is what, how we are supposed to live as Christians in, in Christ's church. But we are agents and ambassadors for the kingdom. And so we are to fight for this type of society in the world, realizing that there's a tension between the struggles and the powers of this world and the principles and the ideals of God's kingdom. Eventually, when Jesus comes and reigns as king over all, we will see this fulfilled to its fullest degree. But now we are, an, we are to be advocates of this type of uh, freedom and respect for all races. Another passage in Ephesians, that says, He himself is our peace, he being Jesus Christ, who made the two one. And the two is the two uh, main division in the in, in the. Uh, First century church was Jew and Gentile. And that was a racial division. Those descendants of Abraham and those descendants of everyone else. <laughs> and the majority of us are Gentile. And so it's talking about racial reconciliation. Racial reconciliation is a primary theme of the New Testament. Okay, Whenever it talks about the difference between Jew and Gentile, it's talking about racial reconciliation reconciliation. And so it says that Jesus is our peace, destroying the barrier between the racial uh, uh, strife that existed on the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. The Bible says his purpose, Jesus's purpose, was to create in himself one new man or humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, Jesus' physical body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Jesus' death on the cross, that the power of redemption rescues not only us individually from our sin, but it also has the power to reconcile all races to become united into one new identity in Christ where we celebrate our differences instead of fight and have hostility over our differences. Isn't that amazing? Okay, This is not a minor theme in Scripture. It's a major theme in Scripture. And we need to realize that we need to support this. That, that If that was Jesus' purpose to bring reconciliation uh, not only between man and God, but between um, man and man, between people of differences and people groups, then it should be our purpose as Christ's representatives. Does it make sense? We need to engage in this and find ways uh, to do this in a uh, biblical, uh, 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 Christ-like way. As Christ followers, uh, we need to 
uh, fight every form of racism because it's contrary to Jesus's purpose. It's contrary to, to the message of the gospel. And unfortunately, our nation has not had a great history uh, in this area. Our nation, uh, uh, you know, demonstrated genocide against uh, Native American tribes. And just, you know, you can read the history books. It's, it's, it's horrendous, some of the things. And we just forget about it. But it was only 100, 150 years ago. And that may seem like a long time to you. But, you know, I'm more than halfway to 100. <laughs> it's amazing to know even the condition uh, of our nation and the different racial uh, issues that existed when I was a child. I was insulated by it, from it. I grew up in a, a small farming community in Michigan. I didn't know what was going on in the other parts of the country. So we have a long way to go, and we have gone a long way as a nation. And churches and Christians need to be an advocate for, for uh, protecting people of all races. Uh, and we can stand up for that. Um, supporting well-conceived efforts that foster dignity and responsibility and rectify the effects of uh, racist history. And I have a friend who did his doctorate uh, dissertation on racism in the church. And um, when I looked at some of his research, I was shocked to find how much the church actually conspired with uh, uh, very, very racist organizations. And, um, and we need to repent of that. And I've spent many, many hours gathered with different groups of people through the years, uh, repenting in prayer for, uh, for anything the church has done and, and seeking to uh, build bridges of reconciliation. Um, of course, there's a vast difference in the political arena on how to address this very complex issue, and no one candidate or party has the perfect solution. But again, as Christ followers, as ambassadors for Christ, we need to realize that this is a priority of Scripture. So as we vote, uh, as we pray for them, and as we engage in our community, we need to realize that overcoming racial inequity is at the heart of the gospel. And it's part of our calling as an ambassador for Christ to seek out ways to bring healing to a broken world. Each one of these points could certainly be a message, if not a series. <laughs> so I'm trying to go through them quickly because you know what? I don't like preaching about politics. <laughs> some, some, some ministries, you know, that's their, that's their game and, and they, they uh, prioritize it and they, they're better um, informed in it. But I do believe that it's important and I think these eight principles give you a framework that hopefully will help you make your decision as you vote. All right, number seven, promoting just peace and uh, just, as in justice, just peace, and restraining violence. Um, you know, Christians know, uh, should know, that God does not call us to bring about the kingdom of God by force. But we do agree that that's the role of the government, to protect and restore justice and just peace and uh, uh, peaceable social orders. And Christ followers have argued and differed significantly about what that should look like in practice. You know, when governments can use force, whether Christians ought to participate in government authorized force to defend their homeland. You know, there's whole denominations that are pacifists and believe that it's 
um, improper for a Christian to fight under any circumstance. Uh, I have a pastor, a good friend of mine, and, and um, uh, he suckered me into an argument. <laughs> I don't argue politics, but somehow he got me into it. <laughs> and it was in a restaurant, a public restaurant. Uh, and it was about pacifism. And he was, he's an ex- extreme pacifist. And I'm like, you know, I was trying to challenge him on that. And, and when I realized it got to the point, we were just arguing, I stopped and changed the subject. It was a great restaurant, good food. <laughs> That's how I changed the subject. Um, I even found out there certain denominations uh, believe that not only are, are Christian, Christians not be soldiers and carry weapons and fight, but they shouldn't even run for govern, uh, office. They should not even uh, be involved in the political arena. Seriously, like whole denominations based on this idea of separating themselves from the world. And of course, I don't agree with that, but Christians have argued over, you know, where's the balance? <clears throat> I believe Christ followers should pray for, and the stance of the National Association of Evangelicals is to pray for, support, uh, and, and be involved in the process. Um, constructively critique government uh, policies and leaders who bear the responsibilities of establishing uh, justice and, and fighting for peace and restraining violence. Uh, we should model and promote mutual respect that leads to just transformation of conflict across borders uh, of nations, tribe, and religion. You know, there's so many differences that happen, and there are places where uh, there is warfare. How do we respond to that? Uh, Hopefully, we respond in a way that uh, uh, seeks justice for the people involved, and not just what's best for us, but what's best for all people. And so the body of Christ should engage in sober, practical peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, in the, in the, uh, in the Constitution of the Kingdom, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, we should strive for non, nonviolent conflict resolution and, uh, and the opportunity for citizens to uh, live in democracies and, and have the ability to influence the governments that they live in, and uh, that uh, citizens should engage in diplomacy locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. And this is really based on a number of scriptures, uh, uh, and the overall view of scripture is that there is a respect for government authority. But in Romans, it really nails it. It says, uh, for the one in authority, speaking about governmental authorities, and this is Paul writing under an antichrist government, it was the Roman government that actually crucified Jesus, all right, and persecuted the church. Yet, in writing to the Christians in Rome, he says, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword in vain. Or, that's the old the translation. Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And so that term, bearing the sword, the sword was a symbol of Roman authority. And this verse recognizes that governments, uh, governmental authority to bear the sword or to have the right and the responsibility to use force is God's design. Uh, and throughout Scripture, submitting to proper government authority is taught all the way through Scripture as being something that is biblical, that is proper. 
but it's also consistent with uh, the Bible and church history, uh, not only to submit to government, but to oppose uh, government when those governments are unjust or becoming uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, abusive in their power. And so we have this right and we have this responsibility. It's also important to recognize <clears throat> that throughout Scripture and according to these biblical principles, having a strong military and supporting a proper and healthy and strong police force is part of this. That's the government bearing the sword uh, for a reason. And all of this is to protect us from the chaos of um, <clears throat> uh, when governments fail. And there's, uh, um, what's that called? Anarchy. Like Somalia. I have friends that have been into these nations. Uh, and they say it is crazy. And so we support a strong <clears throat> uh, government authority to, to use power when power is necessary, but to use it for the sake of justice. Uh, uh, the Bible teaches that we are to, uh, in First Timothy, first, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. So we need to be praying for those people that are in authority, whether they're people that are on our side of the political divide or not. It doesn't matter. We need to pray for them. They have wisdom. And I can't imagine what it would be to be responsible to make those decisions. And the goal is that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases uh, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. So there's this, this goal of praying, and, and, and I believe that prayer is, of course, when we pray and make intercession, but it also is every form of support that we give to those in governmental positions is for two purposes, a two-sided goal. One is that we can live peaceably, that we can have quiet lives, that we can practice godliness and holiness, that we can live a Christian lifestyle, right, without interference, but also that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you see that a well-structured and, and supported government as part of God's design to make it possible for the proclamation of the gospel. And I think that that's one reason, because this nation was founded on biblical principles, that this nation is the most evangelistic. We've sent out more money and more people to be missionaries throughout the world than any other nation. Why? Because we originally were founded on these principles, and we see that as a priority, and we want to preserve that. We want to fight to preserve that. Um, <clears throat> so that is the goal. So as we uh, pray for uh, vote and engage in our community. Uh, as much as depends on us, we need to practice this, practice this personally. So le live at peace with everyone. So don't let conflict and strife and division uh, exist in your life. But then also seek peace in the restraint of violence in any and every aspect of life and vote in a way that you believe will best preserve social order, social peace, so that we can get on with life and pursue the things of God, all right? And I'm sure it's really easy to make that distinction. <laughs> I say these things, I'm like, 
I know how hard it is, saints. You need to pray and decide, you know, which of the candidates you think will best pursue these goals and then trust God, because uh, ultimately it always comes to that. I'm out of time, but I'm going to continue with this last one. Um, give me a few more minutes, and that is caring for God's creation. Again, going to the creation story, God blessed them and said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in a subsequent verse, says the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So this was before the fall, we were given as humanity the responsibility to cultivate, which means to work, to serve, to serve, to till, to tend, okay? And so that's, that's humanity's job description, and to keep, which means to guard, protect, to attend to. So this was and is our primary first job description, is to, to guard, to serve, to work for the good of the garden, of creation, and we have dominion over the earth, not for it to serve us, but so that we could be a, that we could be a, a servant leadership and to care and tend for it. This is, a, this is a conservative biblical viewpoint. Again, some people uh, hijack or uh, take terms and ideas and, and, and pull it into their camp, but we need to step back and say, well, what does the Bible say? Caring for creation is our God-given responsibility. And it's interesting that the very first story in the Bible shows that the sinful actions of mankind brought a curse on the ground. Right? As a result of the fall, the ground was cursed. If you read it, the ground was cursed. Adam, he did not curse Adam. He cursed the ground. The ground was cursed as a result of Adam's actions. And work became toil. And so the word we were given, job description and work, he basically said, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be burdensome. It's going to be painful. It's going to be worrisome. So all worry and that pain of labor is a result of the fall. Isn't it evident that when we live contrary to God's character and design, it has devastating consequences on our environment? whether it be the environment in your home or the environment in a community, in a neighborhood, if there's a, a behavior that's contrary to God's character in the nation or in the world. But there's actually a biblical, biblical connection between our behavior and the state of the environment. And the prophet Isaiah, chapter 24, verse 6, says, The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it are desolate. So it's speaking about the earth as well as those inhabited. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. We're seeing that happen in California right now. <laughs> what am I saying? Um... Our, 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 our wildfires and things like that, uh, the, the fall of God's judgment. No, it's the fault of sin. 
Okay? That, the wor- that the earth is out of order. Why? Because the ones that God ordained to have dominion over the earth are not living according to his character and his laws and his truths. All right? And ultimately, that will be fully restored as it was demonstrated in Jesus when he was on the earth. He was able to command storms that stop because he was living in unity. He was living in the character of God as it, we are intended to be. Uh, and we can, we can step into that to a degree. But I, wanna, I want you to see the connection between caring for creation and living a, a, a Christ-centered life. Romans chapter 8, 19, it says, All creation is waiting eagerly. So think of it. The Bible says, I believe this. I believe that the earth, the stars, the planets, the trees, the stones, they're all waiting eagerly. For what? For that future day when God reveals who is his children really are. Against its will, it being the creation, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And so as a result of the sin of mankind and our sinful actions, creation is actually suffering and also looking forward to freedom. Yeah. You'd think I was a tree hugger. I see this clearly in Scripture. God is God's creation. We are not to mutilate his artwork. All right? We're to care for it. <clears throat> for we know that all creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the message of the, is, of the gospel applies to creation as much as it replies to mankind, individual saints. I was talking with someone who's struggling with their, <clears throat> uh, uh, their understanding of Christianity and they said, you know, it just doesn't seem reasonable. It just doesn't make sense that only the human spirit is eternal. And I said, well, whatever gave you that idea? The Bible says all things will be made new. All things will be made new. In the resurrection, there's a new heavens and a new earth. And, and the new doesn't mean like he just throws away the old and creates a new from scratch. No, it means renewed. He's going to take everything that has existed and make it as though the curse had never happened. All right. how, the, how that's going to happen, I don't know. And so when I look at the wonder of creation, the beauty of the world that we live in, I realize that we experience this now temporary, and this is how beautiful it is under a curse. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to restore it to its fullest glory, and then he's going to dwell here with us forever. And so creation, tending to creation, is part of our call, and it's part of the gospel. I encourage you that as you pray uh, for, as you vote, and as you engage in this discussion in your community, that you seek what's best not only for ourselves, but also for the well-being of, 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 of our environment. Um, and again, there's, there's such a de- debate and disagreement, you know, uh, of how that uh, should be practiced, and I'm not even going to attempt to answer that, you know. But the principle of protecting our environment because we are assigned to do that by God is very, very important. All right. Would you join with me in a closing prayer? Father, uh, we pray for this election. We pray for this nation. We pray for the candidates. 
Lord, we pray that you would uh, be sovereign over this. We ask that um, uh, that uh, whatever the result of the election that's uh, imminent, uh, we would see advancement on these principles and other biblical principles. Uh, pray that you give us all guidance as to how to be responsible citizens, how to practice this, not only when we vote, but when we uh, interact with other individuals. God, give us grace uh, to tolerate those who are different than us and even respect and treat them with dignity, as well as to express our own biblical-based uh, viewpoints. Uh, Lord, we want to be good citizens, but we need your help. And this nation needs your help, and this world needs your help. And we are grateful that you are not far off in times of need, that you are a very present help in times of need. And so, Lord, we appeal to you to be present in this time because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.